Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, Blue. You A podcast with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more from deep inside the Man Cave. Your host, Elias. Michael, welcome to the cave. Hey, thanks for having me. What's going on, man? What's new with you? Uh, just hanging out in the California desert right now. Um, and it's getting pretty hot down here. It's 106 degrees wow. right now. So I'm looking to do some traveling this summer. Go back to Canada. Go where the weather is fit to uh, uh, be a daytime human again. I've been kind of living my life at night, and that works for me for a little while. But uh, enough's enough. Um, what part of the world are you in? I'm in Massachusetts. Ah, cool. East Coast. Yeah, I need to get back to the East Coast, man. <laughs> so uh, you've been busy the last few years, huh? You were in a band for 10 years, then you uh, you got into filmmaking and acting, and you were casted as Deadshot on Arrow, and now you star in a movie, Crown and Anchor, and we'll talk about that. So you mentioned you were from Canada. Uh, how, was, uh, how, yep. was, how was it growing up there? It was great, man. Um small island in the Atlantic Ocean, Newfoundland, okay. and, uh, you know, kind of the Huckleberry Finn uh, childhood, you know, getting into a bit of trouble. It's more kind of like Europe than Canada. Okay. It's got a real old school kind of Irish and English uh, heritage and culture that is still there. Um, I think it's one of the best, safest places to grow up, or at least it was when I was there, and... Um, you know, unfortunately, then you start to picture your life as an adult, and that's where it gets tricky because you're kind of stuck on an island. So when I was, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do after high school, um, I really didn't have anything that appealed to me. And, uh, you know, stuff like like movies and music was really inspiring to me. And I decided to drop out of school and uh, university and take my band on the road because that was sort of what was really motivating to me at the time. And looking back on it, it was one of the scariest but best decisions that I ever did. And um, I don't advise like kids stay in school, all that good stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, to, to start a band with a bunch of my good friends and travel the world is exactly what I needed. Uh, after, you know, like I said, that lifestyle of, of growing up on an island. Um, and the world kind of opened up to me from there. Yeah. How did you uh, how did you get, like, the band together? Like, what, how, what made you decide to start playing music? It wasn't really a decision, dude. I, my yeah. grandfather owned a music store, an Irish music store called O'Brien's Music, okay. right downtown in the capital city, St. John's, Newfoundland. It's been in my family for three generations now. My brother David runs it. Um, so growing up around that with, you know, a, a freaking jam breaking out at any moment, whether it's Christmas or somebody's birthday, and going down to visit my grandparents who lived over the music store, I mean, it's just, you know, you turn six, seven years old, you just pick something and play it. And for me, it was the drums. Wow. And um, I was kind of the first drummer in the family. Like I said, everybody plays something. I grew up watching my dad play bluegrass music, going to bluegrass festivals, 
uh, listened to Irish music, and when it was my turn, I just rebelled against all that shit and <laughs> got into punk rock and heavy metal and hardcore. And, um, you know, it, uh, part of the reason why the, the film we just did is scored with really heavy music because that was my life for so long. Yeah. It still is, man. I still feel like a musician. Like, I was lucky to to transition from that into acting, and it was a pretty natural progression. Um, and I learned a lot by, you know, hitting the road. I, I learned way more than I could have in school by starting up a band and hitting the road, you know. It, it's like a business, and you get really, really good at life, not just reading about it or being told it should be like this, it should work like that. You get thrown out into the world, you know. It's kind of like joining the Army or something like that. You're you're on the you're 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 really grassroots into how to run something indie style, and it's taught me a lot of life skills, and um, you know, well, we're, do we're, do it yourself, yeah. DIY till you die. That's the way I approach life. Yeah. What, what were like some of your favorite uh, bands growing up that inspired um, that inspired say, you? Yeah, I'd say that I got into uh, early on. I was into like that first wave of grunge that came out and I know grunge bands don't even like the term grunge but you know maybe maybe it started uh, with uh, more obscure Seattle bands like yeah Nirvana was always there in Soundgarden but I liked you know Mud Honey and uh, Screaming Trees like there was a movie called Singles that came out back in the day and it was kind of a terrible movie but it had one of the greatest uh, soundtracks and then that got me into, you know, early Red Hot Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction. And then I just started getting heavier from there. My older brother was kind of a headbanger. Okay. Uh, my older brother, John, he was into Metallica and Slayer and stuff like that. So that started to creep in. And then I just really got into, you know, old school hardcore like Black Flag and Minuteman. And uh, the search goes on, man. I'm always still looking for my favorite new band. Yeah. Uh, and I listen to all kinds of music. But uh, heavy music has a close has a place in my heart for sure, and I just love the attitude of it. I love the energy of it, and I love how a lot of these bands, because they're not that, or at least didn't have like back then, didn't have an outlet, didn't have a radio station that would really play them. You really gotta want to do it, and you do it for the right reasons. And it's all just indie style, do it yourself, and 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 you know, it's not really preachy. But it's it's got a good message that I can connect with in that, you know, do think for yourself and rebel against the system and find your own way and don't worry about trends and being a sheep and all that stuff. So while you're like, so when you were growing up, how did you decide you wanted to even get into like acting and filmmaking? And how did you uh, transition from going to from the band to acting and filmmaking? Yeah, I guess like. It doesn't seem like I can pick moments where I know that I I was on a new course, but it's not really a a decision making thing. It was just being being keen and following my interests and stuff like that. Like being in a band, it kind of saved me because I couldn't pick anything else off the list of things to do in Newfoundland. So I knew I loved playing in the band, and I, that took me away from my home. And good things started to happen, and I was really you know, I felt like anything could happen at any time, and I was having this great adventure with people that I cared about and trusted. And when that ended, it was kind of like my whole world got turned upside down. 
um, ended a relationship that I was in for a really long time with uh, my girlfriend. My band ended, and I just threw all my stuff in my truck and drove coast to coast and went out to the West Coast where my youngest brother, Andrew, was just starting to get into filmmaking. And um, I was playing a little bit of music out there, but nothing serious because I kind of had to step back for a minute and reevaluate. But helping Andrew make his short films kind of filled that place, that hole that, that not having a band had left. And now we're making these short comedy films. And I really like that mission and that new creative outlet. So it's just kind of my style to, when I like something, do it as much as I can and, and just dig in. And so I started taking maybe some some classes at a certain point, working on set as like a photo double or background performer. And then just seeing other actors do it, I was like, man, I can I can do this. Like, they're screwing up. They don't know their lines. Like, you don't have to be perfect. You just got to work hard. And yeah. and so it was obvious to me at a certain point. And then I got an agent, and I think it was the second or third audition that I went to uh, was for this new show called Arrow. And uh, I booked the gig. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, so uh, how was the, the audition for uh, playing uh, Deadshot for Arrow? They they gave me very little to go on for the audition. They okay. said that I it was for an army sniper named Finn, and there was a lot of stuff in the in the scene where he was putting together a rifle and getting ready to you know shoot somebody out a window, like a trick shot type thing. And so I had to kind of piece together a lot of silent moments, but filling it in with miming, putting together a rifle. So I just pictured this guy as somebody who. You know, it was like a professional athlete. You know, they're kind of, um, they have their uh, pre-game ritual. And so I had this very meticulous way. I took off my coat and folded it and unpacked my stuff, but I never took my eyes off the target. And I guess it was, the director made a comment that it was really intense. And, you know, I'm glad it worked out. But it was really strange because he asked me at the end of the audition uh, if I had any tattoos. And I said no. And then I noticed that the other guy that was there to audition for the, for the role, too, was covered in tattoos, so I figured they wanted tattoos. Now, lucky for me, it turned out they didn't want tattoos, and um, that could be <laughs> one of the main reasons yeah. why they went with me. Um, but then I go and show up to, you know, I, I book the gig, and I, I show up to set, and as I'm walking to go to the wardrobe department to try on, you know, the costume, uh, everybody's calling me Deadshot, and I'm like, no man I'm playing Finn you got the wrong guy I don't know what you're talking about and so they didn't tell me they just when I showed up they just showed me all the comic books and all the gear and announced that I'd be playing the legendary wow. DC villain wow so, so you didn't even know nuts, you didn't even know to the day you got there didn't know to the wow. day I got there and I'm walking through the set as they're filming episode 2 and I show up in episode 3 and everybody's calling me Deadshot and I'm like no man you're mistaken. I'm playing Finn. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, literally thought everybody was screwing with me or something yeah. like that. Did, when they were calling you Deadshot, did you even, like, like put two and two together that you're about to play a, a guy that's been in the comics? Uh, no. I mean, I couldn't let my mind go there. I didn't yeah. know what they were talking about. I wow. just thought they had me mistaken. And then even when they showed me the comics, I'm like, you guys are screwing with me, right? Um, and then I, I, I didn't grow up reading Suicide Squad stuff. Okay. I was more into Marvel comics as a kid, but my... My brother Chris was more into DC stuff, so I recognized the image and uh, just you know, yeah, good, good little uh, 
Good little surprise, I yeah. gotta say. I'll never probably won't, be, won't get too many of those moments in my life. So, so how, how did it feel playing like you know such an iconic character? Well, I guess you could feel the pressure because of such a big fan base, but um, I decided that I wasn't gonna let any of that really get in my head. Um, and this was a, a fresh new show with a fresh new take on these characters, and it was kind of like telling their origin stories. So I didn't read any Deadshot comics up until like second or third season. I didn't want to do an impression and then, you know, screw it up. I just created the character off the scripts that were given to me, and I dug in and figured out why this, what made this guy tick and why he was the way he was. Like, nobody's born bad, you know. There's usually a, a, a reason, a point in their life where, where they, they turn and start on that sort of trajectory to being a villain, and I need to find out what that was for the character. And so there's a story about you know, Deadshot being so close to his brother, but having an abusive father, and then there's a, a plot to take out the father, but he ends up, because he is naturally a good shot, and he takes out his brother uh, as he's trying to shoot the father, and, you know, that really resonated to me, because I have four brothers, and so that was the heart and soul of the character, and I just pictured that any other person that he was coming across in the series, whether it be Oliver Queen or John Diggle, or any of these people, yeah. uh, I always viewed, I always played it from a point that they were, he, he he wanted them to take the place of his brother, you know what I mean? And he was kind of like bro down with these guys, but if they couldn't get down with him and what he was good at, which is killing people, and they're wanting to do the the right thing and, and, and their morals, like he didn't really understand why their morals, what they encompassed and why they wanted to do it differently, but he was still, there was a, there was a, bond he was trying to create with these people say come on let's just go take it. we're both really really powerful and, and good at killing let's just do this you know what i mean and so that's the that's the angle i always approached it yeah. from did, uh, did you do your own stunts on the show you always have to do some really physical things they wouldn't let me obviously you know get slammed through tables or jump through windows uh even though i asked them if i could do some of that stuff but i really like the the you know doing the fight scenes the choreography and you got to do all that stuff. I got really good at shooting uh, guns with fake bullets in them. Wow. And uh, when I actually started going to firing range, the first shot I ever took on a real gun, I've hit a perfect bullseye, I think just because I was so comfortable holding guns at that point. Um, but I think that, to be honest, like doing stunt choreography, everybody always asked me if I was a dancer because I would get the the rhythm and the movements really well, but I think it was my history as a drummer that really helped me out, because I would put a beat to all the moves, and I would remember them really well. So I, that was a, a piece where my, you know, uh, coordination for being a drummer and and all the work that I put into memorizing rhythms, I uh, was able to I was able to push fight scenes into that part of my brain, and it worked really well. And I, Something I didn't really ever think about, yeah. but it translates perfectly. And now you ended up going to play uh, a ver uh, Earth Two version of Lawton on the Flash, right? Uh, no, I just played the Earth Earth Three Earth version 3? of him, I okay. believe. Yeah, yeah, where he's like the polar opposite. Okay. Um, and so that was really strange because you got to go backtrack and all the all the things that you have with the history of your character. 
all the things you've worked out and you got to say, okay, well, what if he made the opposite decision along the way? Where would he end up, you know, and what kind of person would he be? So it kind of turns your, your head inside out trying to do that. Um, but it was really fun. And, uh, you know, so I had him, he was a police officer in that, on that earth. And I had him that he was, you know, he was, they, they wrote him that he was the worst shot on the force and everybody made fun of him because <laughs> of it. And so in my mind, this guy has major self-confidence problems. He's in therapy. He still lives with his mom. He's a, you know, bit of a loner. Not not a bit of a loner. He's desperate for everybody's attention. Not the way, you know, Floyd on Earth One was kind of a, a loner, always lurking around by himself in the shadows. Didn't think that he needed anybody. Um, but I had this guy always desperately wanting uh, attention and and, you know, being a bit of a fool and a bit of a wimp and all these things. Do so it, it was it was fun, man. Yeah. I, I I was really nervous how people would take the character um, after they were used to him a different way. Uh, but once I just sort of let go and committed to the fact that this guy is like the butt of the joke in this new version, and it it was it was really fun for me to do it, and people reacted to it really well. Do you uh, do you hope to play Deadshot again? I've kind of let that hope go because the business okay. got in the way. Okay. Um, I, I would, you know, it'd be fun to fire that character up again. I spent a lot of time with him. Yeah. I really like playing him. Uh, but, you know, it's unfortunate just the way that uh, business goes, that he sort of got taken off the table yeah. at a certain point. I believe that he's still alive, even on Earth One. I don't believe that he got killed on the show. But whether the show will ever get permission or ever want to wake up that storyline before it ends, or yeah. or bring him on another show, I have no idea. I don't. I don't. Dis- I don't have those discussions with anybody. Now, do you enjoy doing the like the comic cons and meeting the fans after playing the the character? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an appreciation and a respect, and. You get to share, you know, all the all the work that you put into it with people, and I I do like that side of it, but it's has a little bit of a living in the past feel sometimes, you know, and you get yeah. that thing where you're like, oh god, I don't want to just be known for playing that character. Yeah. I have so many other cool things that I'm gonna do, so you try to get people stoked on the future, but you know, when people like that character, they love them, and uh, you can tell it means a lot to them. And I had, like, you know, really cool interactions with fans, like when they finally showed on the show their version of why Floyd was the way he was and how he was ex-military and suffered from PTSD and uh, couldn't, you know, go back into civilian life with his family and he was horrible to his wife and his kid. Like, that really connected with a lot of people who really went through that and were ex-military people, and they reached out to me on social media. So, That's you know, yeah. that 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 made it not just this foolish sort of... Because sometimes you just you show up and you put on a superhero costume and you, you just play fighting and it it seems kind of goofy like really fun like you get to be a big kid but there's more than that you know like and then I start thinking that it's the same shit that inspired me when I was lost in life and kind of saved me um, that I now get a chance to potentially do for other people so it's very cool and I have a lot of those moments uh, interacting with uh, fans of the show yeah so now you star in Crown and Anchor. Uh, you co-wrote this with your brother, right? Uh, yeah, it came from a, a script that Matt was actually working on, who okay. plays Danny in the film. And me and him were 
were playing some music together. He used to play in my in, in our band. He was a singer. I was a drummer. And um, he decided to play some music again. And I went on tour with him for like 12 shows. And so we were on the road for about two or three weeks. And every night we'd work on the script, this idea that he had. And it was really fun. And uh, at a certain point, we ended up getting uh, the money to film it. But we needed to rework the script and strip it down for the for the new budget that we could, uh, you know, acquire to start filming. And so then we got Andrew involved, my brother Andrew, and he completely rewrote the script. So the version that the film is based on is a retelling of the same characters and the same relationships that existed in Matt's script. So I kind of get a story by credit, um, but it's mostly Matt's work, uh, you know, for the foundation of this thing, and then the brilliance that is my brother Andrew um, bringing it to the point uh, that it is in the film. How long did it take you guys to film uh, the movie? We filmed it in over 15 shooting days. It was the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life, man. I didn't know if I was coming or going by the end. And halfway through, I had two days off, and I decided to go to England to a Comic-Con. So no sleep to get there, do the Comic-Con, fly back, go right back to set. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, I don't know why I did that, but it was grueling, and it wasn't easy, and it almost killed us, but it was so gratifying to work with my best friend and my brother on this thing and really just, you know, go to war with it, it felt like. And, and man, that is a good feeling when, when you finish it and you pull it off make we we made that movie uh you know off just having the guts to try to do it we had very little money but the spirit that was behind that thing was totally diy and punk rock spirit and refusing to say die you know what i mean yeah and that really that that motivated me hugely and i'm like this is the feeling that i've always been looking for this is the equivalent of putting the the energy and the feelings i always got from slugging away in a in a punk rock band and then what i've learned from the film and tv industry and slamming it all into one creature you know what i mean so that i can't wait to do it again man that that sometimes you know even when you get to play a character that you really believe in and somebody else wrote it and you just do an audition you get it you show up the set you film it that to me as a musician feels a little bit like a cover band like you're telling somebody else's story and that's fine you do the best you can with it and it's a challenge and you try to nail it but that feeling that i'm talking about when i play music it was always in an original band you write it you put a little piece of yourself in it you 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 kind of selfish about it you make it for yourself you try to make the piece of art that you wish you found somewhere else and then you give it away and then you just uh, hope somebody else connects to it. But if you really were honest with it and, and you know, put that spirit into that piece of art, other people are bound to connect with it at some point. The, the, the task becomes getting it out there so that people can find it. Um, but that, you know, doing Crown and Anchor was the original band. It, was, it wasn't the cover band. It was actually having that experience of having a voice in it and having a true collaboration with people that you trust. And when you're working with people that you trust, then you can go way deeper into it because it's really hard to, you know, be that vulnerable in front of a camera or a room full of 50 people. Um, but that's what it takes to, to make really 
good scenes in a film. And so when you got ultimate trust in the people you're acting with and ultimate trust in the person directing you, then that's when cool shit happens. And that's what happened in this movie. So, like, without spoiling it, uh, can you tell listeners a little bit about what the movie's about? Yeah, so Crown and Anchor is basically um, takes the audience back to where I grew up on this island. And I play a character named James Downey, who comes from a really messed up family, petty crime family, abusive father, alcoholic, um, criminal. Uh, my character has, has moved away eight years ago to get away from it all. He gets dragged back to the island because of, his, uh, because of the death of his mother, Rose. And um, the last thing he did before he left, he, he became a police officer. and it, He put his own father in prison, and then he split. And when he goes home for the funeral, he has to face the music and the fallout from that decision and what his family thinks of him and how it kind of destroyed. He thought he was doing everybody a favor by removing the head of the monster of the family, and it actually ruined everybody's life, and he has to face the music. But, you know, that's the plot. It goes a lot deeper because you get to to, to explore a lot of characters and and how everybody suffers trauma throughout your life and just different ways you can deal with it. You can be a, you can be a James and stuff everything inside and, and set your life up that... You know, you think you're a good person because you're a cop and you don't drink and you're you're trying to prove yourself you're not your father, but then you're lashing out in other ways and you're not dealing with the problem. You're hiding it and you're forcing it inwardly and it's sort of ruining your life and ripping you apart and making you, causing you to do bad things. Yeah. Or you can be like a Danny character in the movie, which Matt plays, which is his cousin. And he used to be really close with Danny when he was a kid, but Danny looked up to James's father. James hated his father. So now James and Danny are at odds in the film. And Danny has his own abuses and traumas that he's suffered, and he dives into addiction to deal with his. And he wears his heart on his sleeve, so he he acts in an outwardly way. And you get to see sort of two sides of the same coin um, in in these characters. And it gets it gets pretty crazy, when especially when they come in contact in the film. So uh, how can the listeners uh, find the movie? It got released to iTunes today. Um, so I know you can find it there. It's also going to be on DVD, uh, wherever you buy DVDs these days. Definitely uh, Walmarts are going to have them, and I don't know where else you can get them, but it will also be on you know video on demand streaming at a certain point. I don't think we've announced that yet, but uh, there will be news on that soon, so you can follow Crown and Anchor Film on Twitter, or Facebook, Instagram, and all that good stuff will be uh, announced really soon. All right. Uh, what's next for you? Got some stuff in the works, man. Uh, nothing I can really announce right now, but hopefully soon. Um, and honestly, like I said, I just can't wait to do the next thing with this group that did Crown and Anchor. We got a lot of tricks up our sleeves. We got a lot of projects we've been writing. Um, we just got to roll out crown and anchor properly and then hopefully get the opportunity to do the next one nice. and uh, crown and anchor is an example of basically making something out of nothing and I can't wait to show people when we get a chance to make something out of something yeah. so uh, how can the listeners uh, find you on social media captain underscore row on twitter and instagram and then there's also a michael row uh, actor page and uh, I'm not great at social media 
but I'm definitely, you know, if if something major is happening or there's something some news to announce, I'll put that up there. But you won't be able to see what I'm eating or what I'm wearing that day or anything. <laughs> All right, Mike, this is fun. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Oh,